0: One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it.
1: Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. Everybody episode seven. Dale For
0: Her- 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 Her-
1: Her- the podcast, is America, on the, phone. the Sports Podcast. Yeah. It is Friday, hey. November 17th, okay. oh, 2023, oh, people. Listen. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is ready for just a jam-packed show pre-holiday. This is one, oh my goodness, we have so much to discuss. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open. We did get an update at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan accepts the Big Ten suspension. I'll explain why I'm surprised. Not surprised. From there, the coaching carousel is starting to ramp up. We've talked a lot about AM. What I want to do, though, is hit on some of the other jobs that could open whispers coming out of ucla whispers coming out of arkansas what could be the next few weeks then we'll take a quick break by the way we'll we'll, we'll do a quick week 12 preview uh obviously washington oregon state georgia tennessee the headliners there then a fun interview that i did a few days ago with jacksonville state head coach rich rodriguez remember rich rod west virginia michigan arizona He joins me to talk about a rebuilding job that he has done. They are awesome this year, seven and three overall in their second year as an FBS program. Really fun interview with him. And of course, we will wrap with America's Favorite Podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We got so much to get into. I don't want to waste any more time. So with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, again, you don't need me to tell you, but we did get a resolution at Michigan with this whole back and forth with the Big Ten. By now, you know everything that happened up until this point, the the allegations of sign stealing, Connor Stallions fired, the Big Ten stepping in hours before the Penn State game last week to suspend Jim Harbaugh for three games, and then, of course, Michigan filing an injunction hearing, which would not have been heard until this Friday as you are listening. Well, I bring it up because after all the dust settled – Michigan decided on Thursday, you know what, we're not going to fight this anymore. We are going to accept the three-game suspension and move on. Going to go ahead and read you the direct quote from the University of Michigan uh, as they explained it on Thursday so there is no confusion. From the University of Michigan, this morning, the university, Coach Harbaugh, and the Big Ten resolved their pending litigation. The conference agreed to close its investigation And the university and Coach Harbaugh agreed to accept the three-game suspension. Coach Harbaugh, with the university support, support decided to accept this sanction to return the focus to our student-athletes and their performance on the field. The conference has confirmed that it is not aware of any information suggesting Jim Harbaugh, Coach Harbaugh's involvement in the allegations. The university continues to cooperate fully with the NCAA investigation. So there's a lot to peel back there. But ultimately, what you need to know is exactly what I just told you, exactly what Michigan just told you. The Big Ten last week suspended Jim Harbaugh for three games. Michigan has accepted the Big Ten suspension, knowing that an an ongoing NCAA investigation will be going on. But the Big Ten, as far as they are concerned, has closed down this investigation. Now, on the one hand, I'll be honest. I am a little bit surprised that Michigan went this route simply because They have a potential national championship on the line here. And obviously, if you don't beat Ohio State, um, you know, that largely goes up in smoke. And obviously, you want to be at full strength when you're facing Ohio State. And obviously, you will not be without Jim Harbaugh. But at the same time, I don't know that I am that surprised by this decision. Let me explain why, right? Because I was thinking about this. Actually, it was Thursday morning. I was thinking, man, it is really quiet at Michigan right now. If you think about the, the whole last month, It's been one day after another, after another, after another of story, after story, after story, who is Connor Stallions? What is he about? What did he know? Did anybody else know the NCA is on campus? There was that report that the FBI was on campus. There was the report uh, that Ryan Day's family was involved, which has obviously been uh, uh, regarded. And that simply is not the case at all. Okay. Then you have the back and forth with the Big Ten. Are they going to suspend? Are they not going to suspend every single day? It felt like there was a new story. And so to go from essentially Sunday after or Saturday afternoon after that win to Thursday morning and there's nothing going on, it just felt like it was really, really, really quiet. And so I was thinking about that. And when you read that statement again, it does kind of make sense why Michigan has decided, you know what, we're just going to back off of this. Because I think the, the part that they say that I do think is important here is this, is that Coach Harbaugh with the university's support decided to accept this sanction to return the focus to our student athletes and their performance on the field. That's ultimately why I think this was done, because the longer this goes on in a public forum, the more that there's outside noise that is impacting your players, your players preparation and your ability to focus on what's ahead on Saturday. You can agree with the decision by Michigan. You cannot agree with the decision by Michigan, but. The one thing you don't have to worry about, the players at least know going into Saturday, okay, Sheron Moore's our head coach. He's the guy who's who's leading us out of that tunnel. He's the guy that's giving us the pre- and post-game pep talks, um, and, and, and we at least know now. So there's closure for the players, and I think that is important in this crazy world, and it is worth noting, like, it really sucks not having Harbaugh on game day. I still think the Big Ten kind of overstepped it, its bounds based on what we know. But at the same time, what I would also say about it is I think Michigan kind of gets like, okay, it sucks not having him here, but he's allowed to be at practice every single day outside of Saturday. That was part of the Big Ten's decision. Coach Harbaugh can still be part of game prep, can still be part of planning, can still be at practice. He can still hit the tackling sled if he wants to. Like he could pretty much do everything except be on the sidelines on Saturday. So I think Michigan decided, you know what? We'll we'll let the players focus on the games. We'll let the players focus at hand. It puts, by the way, the staff at ease. It's not every single day trying to figure out what is Saturday going to look like. And I think the other part, too, which, which is kind of important and interesting, the fact that the injunction hearing was pushed till this Friday, I have to imagine played a role, right? Because now if you wait until the injunction hearing, then it's more chaos before the game. Who's coaching? Who's not? Who's going to be on the sidelines? Our coach is in court right now trying to get an injunction to allow him to coach? And I think either way, the judge ruled on Friday, if that proceeding had gone through, it would have been, I don't want to say bad, but it would have just been more chaos, right? Because if she says no, then all of a sudden you're deflated because coach Harbaugh is not there. But I was thinking about this. What if she says yes? What if there is a temporary injunction and Jim Harbaugh is allowed to coach? then all you're doing is potentially pushing back that punishment more three game suspension from the big 10. You've served one game against Penn state. And when I look at it, you know, you do wonder what if down the road, you know, in a month from now, there's a different ruling, a different judge, a different, whatever. And now all of a sudden you got to miss a playoff game. You got to miss a big 10 championship game. So even if you get the injunction, It could potentially just push down that punishment and, again, create more uncertainty. And so what feels obvious to me is that there was a lot of emotion on Friday into Saturday. I include myself. I thought what the Big Ten did to Michigan was absolute nonsense. To put those players on a flight not knowing I thought was completely unfair. But once the emotion cooled off, it was clear to me that Michigan said, you know what? We don't need to put our players through this anymore. It sucks. We don't like it, but Harbaugh can game plan. He can prep and we will take our chances on Saturdays without a couple big picture thoughts before we get to some of the rest of the show. Uh, One, first of all, for the people that are saying, I I saw this a lot on. So, oh, this is, this is nonsense. This is, are you saying that this is the only punishment that Michigan is getting for this whole situation? I saw smart people saying that, like the, the punishment wasn't enough to which I would say, first of all, we don't know what the full punishment is and two you're an idiot okay because first of all remember this is an unprecedented punishment from the conference and why i think that this is not only totally fair but i actually think it's more than that is because it, there is a three-game suspension from the big 10 but what if two things is going to happen either we're going to find out that jim harbaugh and nobody knew anything besides connor stallions and that the big 10 probably overreached or The NCA is going to do its investigation. They're going to find out more and Michigan is going to get punished again. So it's essentially double jeopardy. They're either going to get screwed on one end or screwed on the other. So the idea that this punishment wasn't strict enough, I just don't buy it. Again, listen to the last line in the press release for Michigan. The university continues to fully cooperate with the NCA's investigation. You know what that means? It means that the NCA ain't done. And in a year or 18 months or two years or five years, they could still punish Michigan for this if they find more. So to me, you're either getting hit with two separate punishments or you're getting punished for something that you largely had, no one on the staff outside of Connor Stallions had anything to do with. So don't tell me it was an unfair punishment. It was an unfair punishment to Michigan and sort of credit to them for taking it on the chin and just accepting this is what we have to do. Lastly, two kind of big picture thoughts. One, I'll say this, even if you think that this punishment is unfair and that Michigan deserve more I do think if Michigan wins out if Michigan goes 12 and 0 in the regular season including 3 and 0 in their last three at Penn State at Maryland Ohio State at home I don't think you can argue that this season in my opinion and some would disagree I don't think you can argue that this season is tainted because at that point just think about what Michigan would have gone through to get to 12 and 0 to play for a Big Ten championship with Harbaugh back on the sidelines you understand they're going to play 12 games Six of them are going to be without Jim Harbaugh. The first three of the year, which was what? Uh, I, rem- I remember this because we talked about it so much. It was East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. And then the back half of this, uh, the back uh, quarter of the season, would be at Penn State, at Maryland, Ohio State, at home. You could argue those are the three toughest games on the schedule. So if they go 6-0, including 3-0 and on the three toughest games of the schedule without Jim Harbaugh, How can you argue that this is tainted? How can you argue that 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 anything other than the best team won this championship? Because remember, Connor Stallions got suspended uh, with five games left on the schedule Uh, before the Michigan State game, then the bye, then Purdue, and then these last three at Penn State, at Ohio, uh, at Penn State, at Maryland, Ohio State. So you mean to tell me that somehow something is tainted because no, you would have gone 6-0 and without Jim Harbaugh, 5-0 and after Connor Stallions was put on suspension and eventually fired, and he would have beaten probably the three toughest games on your schedule, at Penn State, at Maryland, Ohio State at home. So that's one. If Michigan wins out, it is, I don't believe, in any way, shape, or form a tainted Big Ten championship. The other thing, and we mentioned this last on Monday's show with James Franklin, like the worst thing that happened to James Franklin was that Jim Harbaugh got suspended like 10 minutes before that game, because when he lost, it's like, oh my God, you lost at home? To Michigan without Jim Harbaugh. They didn't know an hour or two hours before kickoff if he was going to coach. I bring it up because I do think there is now all of a sudden a lot on the line for Ryan Day. And what I mean by that is this: I do feel like Ryan Day has re you know, re-ingratiated himself, if you will, with a lot of that Ohio State, uh uh Ohio State fan base. I think a lot of it started the win at Notre Dame. Remember Ohio State versus everybody, Ohio State versus the world. And then I do think as this is unfolded, I do get the sense. And Ohio State fans, if you disagree, you can comment on in the YouTube section. You can send me emails. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com if you want to yell at me. I do think that Ohio State's fans have largely taken the approach of there's a little bit of an asterisk over those last two wins again uh by Michigan against Ohio State. Well, if Michigan beats Ohio State this year, without Connor Stallions, without Jim Harbaugh, I think a lot of that goodwill from Ryan Day is gone. And I think Ohio State fans are are on Thanksgiving weekend madder than they've ever been because of the way this unfolded and the fact that Michigan still beats you without their head coach and without the the guy that has been publicly uh, made to be their secret weapon. and, And in a lot of circles, their only reason for success. So Ryan Day, not telling you how to live your life. You're making $8 million a year, so you're doing better than me. But if you want some peace of mind, you better go ahead and beat Michigan. Because if you do not, uh, and if this plays out, no Harbaugh, no counter Stallions, but mostly no, no Harbaugh. Let's just be honest. You lose to Michigan with an interim head coach this year. There's going to be a lot of mad people in and around Columbus. I think the pressure kind of shifts to Ohio State, who now, you talk about a mega game two weeks from now. Of course, Michigan's got to get through Maryland this week on the road. Ohio State's got to take care of Minnesota at home. Ryan Day, you better beat Michigan this year. That's all I got to say. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, we're going to switch gears, talk a little coaching carousel. Because we've talked so much about Texas AM, and but there's some new interesting stuff that has come out over the last couple of days some UCLA news that I don't know that I actually believe will explain what I mean by that. Arkansas, some interesting little buzz, some West Virginia buzz. Quick break. Be right back. Thank you, everybody, for your support of the Aaron Torres Podcast. And we have a major announcement as the Aaron Torres Podcast YouTube channel has partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And here is the best part. Listeners of this channel, Special offer courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook for first time customers. Here's the offer, here's what you need to know. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, bet just $5 on any game and you get $150 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code tours. It really is that simple. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, bet $5 on any game and as long as you are a first time customer, you get $150 in bonus bets instantly. When you use the code torus could be pro, could be college, could be basketball, hockey, football, whatever you want. DraftKings Sportsbook, promo code torus first-time customers, bet five, get 150 in bonus bets instantly. All right, everybody, I'm back. Gonna be back, gonna be back. Do want to switch gears. Um, and I want to talk a little college football coaching carousel just kind of rumors and innuendo i've said it a few times but listen this is the time of the year that if you love the college football gossip in spanish we call it chisme the gossip the rumor the innuendo the message boards the twitter posts this is the time for you And we're going to focus on the college football coaching carousel here over the next couple minutes, because at the end of the day, listen, we spent a lot of time talking Texas A&M, and I think we should. Texas A&M is very likely to be the biggest job that opens up. I know something crazy could happen. You know, Lincoln Riley could go to the NFL. Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day could go to the NFL. But for the most part, that's probably the biggest job that's going to open. But over the next 8, 10, 12 days, we could get a couple other jobs open up as well. And so what I want to do is spend a few minutes going away from Texas A&M, which we've spent plenty of time on the last two episodes, uh, and focus on the other jobs that could be open and really just some of the stuff that's come out here over the last couple of days. The most notable thing that has certainly come out about any job outside of Texas A&M, it is the report out of UCLA. So there was a report on Tuesday night. Many of you hit me up. I We actually have a very strong UCLA listenership on this show. Shout out to you Bruins. Eight clap, baby. Um, and we had we we there was a report out on Tuesday night credible site Uh, uh one of the the UCLA I believe it's their twenty four seven message or twenty four seven website basically that Chip Kelly is ultimately going to be fired after the USC game this coming Saturday. By the way, we'll preview uh, all Saturday's games at the end of this segment. But I bring it up because it, it'll be a quick preview too. We're not going to spend a ton of time on these games, but I bring it up because a lot of you sent me that. Torres, what do you think about UCLA about to fire Chip Kelly? Well, what I would say is a couple of things. One, if it does happen, um, I ultimately don't agree with it. And we will spend time when it does happen talking about it. The thing is, though, I am not totally sure that this is going to happen. And really for all of these jobs, but specifically with UCLA, for people who don't know, I'm not from L.A., but I live in L.A. And I spent a lot of time on the phones kind of talking to people in the know spoke with somebody that would know a lot about the situation at UCLA somebody very plugged into the the situation uh with that program and with that athletic department and what i would tell you is based on the information that i was told i don't believe that chip kelly is going to be fired after the usc game essentially what i was told is flat out this i i, I texted somebody in the know basically asked them you know can you what i what i really asked was can you explain why this decision would be made because i fundamentally disagree with it And what the person told me was it's clickbait. Don't believe it. If something changes, we'll let you know. And so you could kind of take that insinuation, however you want. Um, I I think you could take it as one way. It means he's absolutely not getting fired this year. Obviously it's just one source. So I'm not reporting it. Um, And the source could be lying to me. It could be, it could be somebody trying to send me off of uh, the scent of this story. But what I really took that as is a couple of things. One I don't believe Chip Kelly is getting fired after USC. If I'm wrong on Monday's show, we will absolutely own it, but I don't believe he is going to get fired, okay? I believe he's going to get USC. I believe he's going to get Cal. Um, And I I don't necessarily believe that UCLA wants to fire Chip Kelly, okay? Um, Remember, they are going into the Big Ten next year. And the thing about UCLA, keep in mind, the run game is pretty good. The defense is pretty good. And we think they have the quarterback of the future in Dante Moore. And so I bring it up because they weirdly in like one off season kind of built their program like a big 10 team. I think internally they feel like they will compete very well once they get to that league. Um, And I just don't think you want to blow this up and start from scratch um, coming off a, a seven and five potential eight and four season when you're going into a new league. Now I will say if they get smoked by USC and they get smoked by Cal or they lose to Cal, I do think that conversation could change. And I, one game probably shouldn't change it. But as I said, the way it was kind of framed to me, if something changes, we'll let you know. And I think that change would be if if UCLA gets smoked by USC, gets smoked by Cal, ends the season on a four-game losing streak because they've lost two in a row, took a bad loss to Arizona State last weekend. And of course, they would take a bad loss to Cal to end the regular season. Then I do think the conversations would escalate. And I, I, I think Chip Kelly's job would at least be in jeopardy. But as of right now, as of this second, if I had to take a bet, if I if I could go to Vegas and bet on such a thing, I do think you, Chip Kelly will be back. And I certainly think, I, I don't think anything is going to happen with him this weekend. Again, if I'm wrong, we'll talk about it on Monday's show and I'm going to have to own it. Let's keep it going because while I think some of the Chip Kelly stuff has been overblown, it's very rare that in coaching stuff, sometimes I think a story gets a little bit underreported And I think what's going on in Arkansas right now is pretty underreported. Sam Pittman, listen, everybody likes Sam Pittman. This is not a knock on him as a human being or a person or a father or a husband or anything like that. But Arkansas has been a colossal disappointment this year. They're currently three and seven. They play FIU this weekend and then they close with Missouri. And obviously nobody expects Missouri to win. And I had been kind of told, so So really the Arkansas situation, we've talked about it in kind of YouTube standalone clips, but on the podcast, I don't know that we have dove too deep into Arkansas football. But I bring it up because really this is year four for Sam Pittman. First year was COVID, just happy to win games. Second year you go nine and four. Last year you go seven and six, I guess, when you win a bowl game. This year you go four and eight. You end the season at four and eight overall. You're three and nine right now. That is a major, major, major step in the wrong direction and really a three-year cycle in which you're going in the wrong direction. And so essentially, I can be perfectly blunt with you on this, is that I've essentially heard since like September that Sam Pittman's uh, you know, situation is probably a little bit more dire than people think. You go back to the Texas AM game, that was kind of the first rumbling that I started to hear. End of September, it's a rivalry game that is traditionally pretty close and, and pretty well contested. They got destroyed by Texas A&M, and from there it kind of escalated. A few weeks later, they get they lose to Mississippi State at home 7-3, to three, and I think at that moment a lot of people thought Sam Pittman might be gone right then. He fired his offensive coordinator. They come back. They have the great win at the Swamp, and you feel like, okay, maybe things are trending in the right direction. And then you proceed to get destroyed at home last week by Auburn and Hugh Freeze in year one. And so I was kind of told, even coming out of that game, something might happen last weekend. I've since kind of heard the scuttlebutt that maybe out of respect for him because everybody likes him, he gets till the end of the year. But I don't know that Sam Pittman, I, I don't think if I had to, I just said, if I had to bet that Chip Kelly was back next year, I would. If I had to bet if Sam Pittman is leading Arkansas out of the tunnel, if they don't win these final two games, I would bet that he is not leading them out of the tunnel to start the 2024 season. The bottom line is like I said, you go from nine and four to six and seven to potentially four and eight this year. Um, it's just totally trending in the wrong direction. You're losing games that you should never lose. Uh, you lost to BYU at home this year, you lost to Liberty at home last year, uh, you lost to Art Auburn in year one uh under Hugh Freeze, and they're gonna get there. But to lose by 38 at home to a first-year head coach that inherited a mess, that is not a good situation at all for Arkansas. And so, again, I think out of respect for Sam Pittman, he will probably get through the Missouri game. I would expect to change after the Missouri game. Now, listen, they beat FIU, if they beat Missouri, then maybe the administration gives them one more year, whether it's changing the offensive coordinator, keeping Kenny Guy in that I don't know. But I don't think he's going to be back next year. Like I said, I thought there was a chance it happened last weekend. Now I think he gets till the end of the year. But I think Arkansas is ready to move. Uh, I think they actually have kind of an interesting list of candidates that we will get into if and when it happens. I actually think Arkansas is probably set to open up. Last couple, you know, West Virginia is a very interesting one. So when we did our preseason hot seat list, Neil Brown, in my opinion, was actually had a hotter seat coming into the year than Jimbo Fisher did. To his credit, Neil Brown, head coach, West Virginia, he's done a very good job. Remember, West Virginia was picked to finish last in this league. They're currently sitting at six and four, um, and they have a very manageable final two games. Uh, Cincinnati at home, who's really bad. Baylor on the road, who's really bad. And there's a good chance they finish eight and four. They finish eight and four. Not only is Neil Brown not getting fired, he's probably winning coach of the year. So you have that dynamic of it. And I think even seven and five, you split the final two, seven and five in a year where you're picked to finish last in the league. he probably keeps his job. If it gets to six and six, then it sort of gets you know, we kind of gotta have a conversation. But in my opinion, i I don't think he's going anywhere. And I actually think you know, one, he's had a good year. two, he's got a couple things working in his favor, okay. And, and I don't know enough people have talked about this nationally. I know locally they talk about it every day, so if you're a West Virginia fan, don't get mad at me. I'm not saying that no one has talked about it. I'm just saying when they talk about this job, not enough has been discussed about these two things. One is obviously the buyout. That has been discussed. Neil Brown, West Virginia would be, would be owed $12 million a year. Now, this is in no way, shape, or form disrespectful of West Virginia or the school or whatever. $12 million is a lot of money for West Virginia to pay a coach not to coach. And then, as we know, be another six, six and a half, seven, $8 million a year for the next head coach. Plus, you got to pay any assistant coaches on multi-year contracts. And so they are not in the position, I don't believe, to pay a $12 million buyout unless it completely falls apart down the stretch here. The other thing that West Virginia, Neil Brown, has going for him, West Virginia is almost certainly going to have to make a basketball hire in a few weeks, in a few months from now. We know about Bob Huggins. It was talked about on this show plenty. Uh, but Bob Huggins is gone. And now because of it, you have a situation where uh, Josh Eiler, great guy. He ain't going to be the head coach long-term. And so now you're going to have to go out, probably spend two, a half, three million a half, $3 million a year to get a good basketball coach in the Uber competitive big 12, which is only getting tougher with Arizona coming in next year. Um, and do you really want to pay 12 million to a head coach to go away another six or seven or five or whatever to a new coach? And then another two, like, you know, I know it's college athletics. I know we think the money is endless. I don't necessarily think that it is there. And I think if you, even if he goes six and six, I'm not positive. He gets fired, but you in one of those next two games, I think he's coming back for sure. Uh, Only other job. That's kind of interesting. Listen, I don't think anything's happening with Billy Napier at Florida. I think he's kind of in over his head. I think the losses are bad. 700 yards to LSU lose to Arkansas at home. First time Arkansas ever won in the swamp. Um, you know, 280 yards rushing for Ray Davis and the concerning part for Billy Napier, that recruiting class is falling apart. It was number three in the country. I think it's down to like eight, nine, 10, 11. They have lost three D commitments in the last like five days of marquee players, defensive tackle flipped to Georgia, Jamante Waller, a five-star edge flipped to Auburn, uh, and a cornerback flipped to Texas. So Billy Napier, everything's going wrong right now. I think he's got to get to signing day, hold on to that class. By the way, beat Missouri, beat Florida state. You'd create a lot of goodwill, but even if they finish five and seven, I think he is getting till the end of this year. I think that's it for the coaching carousel stuff. You know, maybe a Syracuse, maybe a Houston. Those are the kind of schools that could open, but I don't really see it. Uh, And we'll continue to monitor this stuff. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to YouTube because if stuff goes down during Thanksgiving week, Don't you worry. Torres will be all over it. We'll be doing all sorts of content on all of that very quickly because we got to get to Rich Rod. We don't have a ton of time to preview this week's games. And the good news is there's not that much to preview, right? Um, You know, this is the week before Thanksgiving. A lot of these marquee programs, the Alabamas, the Florida States, the LSUs, they're playing either group of fives, uh, 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 FCS schools, whatever. So I'm just going to give you my quick picks. Uh, If you want the detailed breakdowns, please make sure to download the College Football Betting Podcast. Those numbers there have been so good. So I appreciate your support. Games of note, Georgia minus 10 at Tennessee. I'll be quick. I think Georgia wins. I think Tennessee covers. Thing with Georgia, keep this in mind. Georgia, because of the way the schedule fell, because Oklahoma was off the schedule this year, you understand Georgia's only played two true road games so far this season. Now they close... This week at Tennessee, next week at Georgia Tech. But their only two road games were at Auburn, at Vanderbilt. And Auburn was the the closest game that they have played all year. So this is going to be the toughest test. I think Tennessee gives them their best shot. I just don't know that Joe Milton can consistently make the plays that you need to. I do think Georgia ends up winning. I think Tennessee covers. And I think we get a Georgia, undefeated Georgia, in the SEC championship game against Bama. Uh, Washington at Oregon State. This is an interesting one. Oregon State is a two and a half point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook. So, how about that? Washington's top five in the country. Oregon State is a two and a half point favorite. I'll take Oregon State. Okay. So, one, I know Washington is undefeated, but we have talked about this. They, they have not been great the last probably six weeks or so. Three games in a row, they got outgained and won Oregon, Arizona State, Stanford. Arizona State, they did not have an offensive touchdown. And then, even the last few games, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you win by, uh, um, you beat who, who did they beat? Let me pull up the schedule really quick. I'm tripping over my, my, uh, my, my thoughts here. Oh, USC, you beat USC by 10, but you give up a billion yards. It's just that USC give up gave up 2 billion yards last week. You do take care of Utah. That was a very nice win, but overall Utah, uh, Washington, four of their last six games have been decided by one score or less, and they have been outgained in three of them. One of the game, multiple of the games, they have gone into the fourth quarter trailing. I just think at some point you get caught up. Oregon State's a good team. They run the football well. The other factor, it is going to be a cold, rainy night in Corvallis. Who does that favor? The team that wants to throw the ball 40, 50 times a game with a Heisman Trophy favorite in Michael Penix or the Oregon State team that wants to be physical along the line of scrimmage and beat you up. I like Oregon State. Can we call it an upset? Oregon State's actually the favorite in that game, but I like Oregon State to win. Uh, a couple other games, UCLA at USC. We just talked about the impact of, of the Chip Kelly rumors. I just think it's low scoring. I, I You know, I, first of all, USC, I don't know how many people realize this. This is their season finale, regular season finale, which means it's almost certainly the last game we see Caleb Williams. They played in week zero. And the thing about USC, they had their bye in week three. They have now played nine straight games. And I just think they're beat up. They're worn down. I mean, they, they didn't even look like the same level of talent as o- Oregon just like beat the crap out of them for four quarters last week. It was never close. They played Utah during the stretch. They played at Notre Dame during this stretch. I just think they're tired. They're worn down. Um, bluntly, I don't blame Caleb Williams. I don't know how much he's listening to Lincoln Riley at this point. I saw a press conference where Lincoln Riley was like, yeah, Caleb's has got to work on this. If I'm Caleb, I'm like, dude, I'm out of here in like an hour. I'm not listening to you. I think USC wins, but I do think it's low scoring. That UCLA defense, as we just discussed, is pretty good. Give me USC 31, UCLA 21, something like that. Um, other games, uh, what else do we got here? Clemson at North, uh, North Carolina, Clemson. I like Clemson to win. Clemson's a six and a half point favorite. That Clemson pass defense is going to give Drake May fits. Uh, Missouri and Florida. I do think Florida will keep it close. Billy Napier. We just talked about him. Billy Dapier the kind of guy uh he's got a gift for every time everyone's given up on him he pulls a rabbit out of his hat the Tennessee game the South Carolina comeback and the one thing they do well they pass the ball well with Graham Mertz I think they get the win Kentucky against South Carolina you know Kentucky's seven and two in their last nine against South Carolina give me South Carolina uh, give me Kentucky to beat South Carolina those big ten teams Michigan I could see it being competitive against Maryland but I think they win. Ohio State, I think that one could be close. 27-point spread. I see Ohio State winning like 30-13. to And uh, I think Minnesota's going to cover. Penn State against Rutgers. Just keep an eye on this one. Rutgers plays really good defense. But yeah, I think that's it for this preview. And obviously, uh, we'll react to everything on Monday's Aaron Torres pod. And also, we'll react if Chip Kelly does, in fact, get fired, as we just talked about. But I'll tell you what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. When we come back, Really fun interview. So Rich Rodriguez, how about Rich Rod joining the Aaron Torres pod? Really cool story. He's at Jacksonville state. Okay. Jacksonville state was an FCS power. They're in their second year in the FBS. They're seven and three. You saw them in the news this week because they and James Madison are trying to get a waiver to be bowl eligible. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. I actually asked Rich Rod about it before all this went down. Um, But really fun interview. Really good guy, and I think you're going to enjoy him talking about the process of building this program, and he's a guy. Listen, give him another couple years here. If he keeps winning at Jacksonville State, I think he's going to continue to rise back up that coaching ladder, so we're going to take a quick break. Come back. Rich Rodriguez joining the Aaron Torres pod. All right, joining me via Zoom. Very excited to to speak to this uh this this guy, uh head coach the Jacksonville State Gamecocks, 7 and three, first year in the FBS. Frankly, a guy, you know, I've been following your career for about 15 20 years now, Coach Rodriguez, Rich Rodriguez is joining me. I don't mean to age you, but you know, when I was a student I went to UConn and you know, Coach Rich Rod and, and Pat White broke my heart many times, but been following your career. Excited to watch you guys this year. How you doing this year? How you doing, Coach?
0: Good, thanks. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I've been doing it for a few years now, and
1: it's it's still enjoyable, obviously uh you
0: know if you hanging around long enough in the profession you know you get a lot, a lot of different experiences but uh fully enjoyed it you know i remember we had some great times at west virginia and and uconn did a great job back then building their program but i'm here at little old jacksonville state and, and it's uh it's not the jacksonville by, by the beach this one's in the mountains in alabama and really enjoying it we didn't know for sure what was going to happen this year we knew we we're in transition and it, that's usually pretty painful for a couple years but our, our guys have bought in and and put together a pretty good season
1: so let's talk about that so for people who don't know you guys brand new to the fbs now you guys as a program had a ton of success at the FCS level the D2 level dating back many years um but so first of all tell how did how did this opportunity come about for you this is now your second year you guys were transitioning last year still playing at the FCS level how did this opportunity come about for you and and I was actually going to ask that I was going to be like for those of us who have never been to Jacksonville Alabama you know give us a little scouting report because uh, you know, it's, it's a school that is really, you know, broken on the scene. And then obviously last week you're playing at South Carolina. I think a lot of people are starting to realize what you guys are doing, but, but for, for those who don't know a lot about your path to this opportunity, uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's I uh, I didn't know much about Jack. So I'd
0: heard about him a little bit on the one double a level and, and, uh, they'd always had, like you said, great success at the smaller school level division two and one double way. And when it came open, uh, you know, I asked us why, why are you having an opening now you've always had success and i think they w- knew that they were going to were building a brand new facility and a uh, football facility and all that and they knew they we were going to transition up and they wanted to have uh you know some guys that maybe knew what division 1a looked like and actually one of the guys that helped lead the search was a guy that i had talked to way back when i was entertaining alabama 16 17 years ago and so we you know he called me up and said hey, you are you would you be interested in looking at jacksonville state and i and i wanted to be a head coach again and and somewhere uh, maybe you can make an impact. And so it came open. And I knew we were going to be in transition for two years. And and it was going to take some time for, for the building to get built and all this kind of stuff. And so I had no preconceived things like, hey, we're going to win right out of the gate. you know. But when I got here, the, the players, uh, there's a good group of guys. They worked really, really hard. Football is important here it's a small town, which I think we may be the smallest town to have a division one football program, which is okay. I tell our guys, we don't, we have three stoplights and one of them don't work. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, it's the, uh, you know, they got it. They got a McDonald's and, um and, um, and they got a Whataburger or something coming in town. And so we, you know, it's, it's a nice little town and uh, you know, football is, a, is important. I think to the community, but it's also a place where you can get really close with each other as players and coaches and staff. And, and the student body and so it's been it's been I got a really good staff and and like I said the players are bought in and and you know we didn't know for sure how, you know how we would compete this first year in a full FBS schedule uh, and we've won some close games and we lost a close game last week against South Carolina but you know it's been a great joy for me to coach and try to start the program from the ground up so to speak and see where we take it in the next
1: three or four years Yeah, that was going to be my question is, you know, obviously, you've been in a lot of places where there's established culture or history or whatever. And it's not say there's not history at Jackson State, but Jacksonville State, excuse me, but it's a different kind of thing. Again, I don't want to say building completely from the ground up because there was a great infrastructure there. But how fun has it been for you kind of at this point in your career to do something different like this?
0: Yeah, it is starting all over. And there's there's every time you make it a leap, you just know Aaron. You go from division two to one double A, that's a big leap. Mm-hmm. But go from one double I still call it one double A, but going from one double A to one A is even a bigger leap. You know, you're talking, you know, a huge amount like we, for instance, last week, South Carolina's athletic department budget is by 140 million. Wow. Ours is is uh not even a tenth of that. You know, it might be 15 to 20 million. So there, but we're in the same level as them. And so there's a huge uh, a difference and a huge, uh, you know, separation between uh, one and 133 teams that play Division One A. But we're glad we got in when we did because the price to get in to One A last year was five thousand dollars. The price mm-hmm. to get in the future is five hundred thousand dollars. Wow! So we saved a little money by transitioning early. Uh, and our facilities need to be upgraded, which our building will be done uh, next summer. Our football facility. And we're building a new covered practice facility and weight room and all that kind of good stuff. So that part's going to catch up a little bit. It's going to be on a group of five level, not power five level. Uh, but everything that's going on now with the transfer portal and NIL and all that, you know, a lot of coaches complain about it. And I don't like some of the direction that's going to, but like I told our staff, the goalposts post of move, we got to move with it. Let's try to be creative and unique in our own way, how we how we work out our guys, the systems we use training programs and all that kind of stuff. And and we can find good enough players here in the location we're at. We're in the southeast where there's a lot of really good football players. And let's see what happens. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun.
1: You know, let me ask a dumb question. I mean, obviously we hear a lot about the negatives of the portal and NIL, but I've also heard from from guys at the group of five level, you know, mid-major basketball, whatever, that like you said, you, you have the opportunity to offer playing time, you know, playing at the FPS level, all that. How does it work for you guys? I mean, obviously you want to, you know, in a perfect world, you keep all the, all the good players, then you kind of fill in from there. But it feels like it does allow you, the, the portal allows a school like you, especially with additional scholarships and everything, to kind of maybe get some guys that four, five, six years ago might not have been as much of an option.
0: Right. If you, if you can get to convince the guys that, hey, the best way for you to uh, advance your career is go and put somewhere where you can play, you know, that you know, instead of looking for the guys that, okay, where's the biggest handout? Cause you are yep. not going to win that battle. I mean, we're not going to pay people, you know, you know, the money like they do in the power fives, whatever. And that's just where it's at. But so what we can provide is opportunity, right. And that, Hey, if you want to play on the next level and one of the pro leagues, the best way to do that is see you on film. And so, but, but we didn't hit, we didn't hit the portal. We've hit it. And now when we sign, say if we're going to sign 20 guys, I told our staff, I don't care where they come from. I don't care for high school, junior college transfer guys. Let's get the best 20 we could get. Thinking that it would probably be 50-50, you know, transfer guys and high school guys. Well, we've signed more high school guys. And hmm. part of that is because we're in a great state for high school football in Alabama. We're, we're an hour and a half from Atlanta Georgia, so there's great football in the state of Georgia. So we're surrounded by a little, really good high school programs. But, you know, if we get the right guy that's the right fit uh, for our program, whether it's a transfer, ju- juco, whatever, we'll take him. And and the thing that uh, – and I believe this and other coaches will all say the same thing. Culture still matters. Sure. How you go about your business, how you practice, how you work, you know, how you run your program, it still makes a difference. So if you can get good players and have a great culture, you got a chance for success.
1: Well, you go nine and two last year and now you're seven and three. Obviously w- the players are buying into to what you and your staff are selling. Like, what has it been? I know it's it's 18 months in now, so it's not year one, but they're clearly buying in and clearly, you know, growth year over year as you're now seven and three at the FBS level, winning a lot of games. And, you know, you played your butt- butts off last week against South Carolina in a game that was tied going into the fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, we're down a 15 yard line with two minutes to go to win it. And unfortunately we didn't, uh, didn't make it happen at the end, but, you know, and that was you know a neat experience for our guys, but we we were all disappointed. It wasn't like golly, We played these guys close, an SEC team on the road, and we were, you know, still disappointed about it that that we didn't pull it out. But you know, we and we don't have a lot of catchy slogans and all that kind of stuff. We t- we have two things that we put up, and we'll have signs on. That's one is hard edge, and the other is earned success. And hard edge is just something we've always talked about that. You know, you got to play this game. You know, a lot of people play hard, but do they play hard all the time on every play? Do they play hard on Wednesdays and Tuesdays practices? Do they have every guy on every play play as hard as you can? That's what we talk about having a hard edge, that if you have some adversity, whatever, you're still going to play hard. And the other part is earn success. You know, it seems like nowadays there's so many things that people want handouts. They want things given to them. We tell our guys any kind of success we're going to have, we're going to earn it. And that'll be probably a good thing to follow the rest of your life, whatever your, you know, job you have, whatever. If you want to be successful, you got to earn it. And so those are really the things that we, you know, kind of run our program on those two principles, and we stick to it every day.
1: You know, random question, a couple more, we'll get you out of here. Rich Rodriguez, head coach, Jacksonville State. Uh, you mentioned the Tuesday, Wednesday practices. You guys have had a lot of Tuesday, Wednesday games. Um, you know, we were talking about you know exposure and getting yourself on film. I assume you use it as a recruiting tool. Now, as a, you know, you're on national TV standalone game. As a coach, do you like it? Because I, I just, I mean, I've watched more Jacksonville State than a, I, yeah. I, I keep wanting to say Jackson State, Jacksonville State than I was planning on. You guys are on TV all the time. I love it. I don't know what it's like to prep for it, though. Yeah, it was, it was different. I mean, I had, when I was in West Virginia, we had played some Wednesday, Thursday
0: games, but never five in a row. I don't think anybody's ever <laughs> done that in October, but we do it being in Conference USA. All the coaches knew that it was coming. It was going to be a, you know, it's got to this is going to be a little difficult, you know, managing it, whatever. But it's also going to be a great opportunity for the league and for the schools to get some exposure. And and I told our guys this, we're going to be on TV and they're going to have you to watch us or the bachelor. So make sure they're watching <laughs> us. You know. And it turned out, well, I think we won four of the five of uh, the midweek games and it was a unique schedule. You know, practicing on Saturdays, if it was Tuesdays and Sundays was your Wednesday practices and, and, you know, traveling midweek and all that. And our guys really handled it maturely. And, and I think it was good. I think it was good for a league. There's no question the exposure for the school was, was big time. And, and so, uh, I'm sure we're probably going to do it again. But you have to do that at our level. Now, if you're in a, you know, Power Five program, you're only going to do one or, or two of those, but doing five of them, it was unique. You know, the hard part was we had four games, I think, in 17 days. so if you get a guy nicked up you're not going to be able to get him recovered in time for the next game and so your depth of your roster really gets challenged at that point but you know we got through that and uh this and like you said got some great exposure for the school and and now i'll think a few more and not only for the helps our program but i think the school itself i think our enrollment will continue to go higher and higher. It's higher than it's ever been right now, and it's going to go because people will find, what well, that's all about. What's Jacksonville-Alabama all about? And they'll start looking into it and say, gee, this is a great place to go in, just to go to school
1: at, and so it's been a lot of fun. A couple more will get you out of here. You know, obviously, right now we're recording now. Jacksonville State's on a bye week, probably run this closer to their next game, but you know, there's a lot of buzz right now. You know, James Madison is putting up a, a very strong fight about this bowl eligibility thing. I think anybody listening knows, but there is a transition period, which you've referenced a few times. And part of that transition period is you're not going to play in the postseason. And James Madison is 9-0 and as we record. They play the UConn Huskies this weekend, ironically enough. And they're fighting the fight to to get bowl eligible. And it's it's obviously something that applies to you guys as well. Do you have a strong I mean, you knew what the rule was coming in, but you're sitting here at seven and three right now. And I'd be curious for your perspective.
0: Yeah, and I don't blame them. I mean, they got a great football team and this is their second year, like our second year transition. And and we understood, like you said, we understood it going in, but it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's not like you got an advantage. you actually got a disadvantage like you normally in your first year in transition. And you're not up to the full 85 scholarships, and in your second year, you might be up to 85. But probably most of those guys are, are young guys, and so uh, I definitely think it's probably an archaic rule that need to relook at it. I understand, like for last year, it was our first year in transition. We 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 were playing mostly a one double A, a schedule, so we weren't going to be eligible uh, because we had more than 63 scholarships. I think we wound up having 73. You know, we weren't going to be eligible for the one double playoffs. We knew that we would have been in it. Yeah, you know, but we weren't eligible. We knew that coming in this year. We played a full, you know, FBS schedule. So, you know, we think, hey, if we're both eligible, we should be able to go. And I think it may work out because there's not going to be enough teams to qualify and, and us and JMU can get in there. But there's no question. I don't, we'll let them kind of lead the torch as far as you know, <laughs> pushing the NCAA because I questioned a lot of things the NCAA has done in the past and what they got going forward. They got a lot more bigger problems than this. This should be an easy problem. They're like, okay, you, you're not, you know, you transitioned you, you won enough bowl games ball games uh you, know, you should be good to go and you know uh you know we agree with them we'll let them take the torch and go and they'll see what happens
1: how much would that mean to your guys i mean everybody you know now it's kind of like a a running joke about bowl games at the at the power five level but i would imagine for you guys it would be not only for your school but for your players a really cool opportunity yeah because you know these guys when they came as the upper class who came here
0: they're you know, you know, they you never thought they'd be in a bowl game because they didn't know we were gonna move up to to uh one one A. Uh and also it's be neat to be the first, you know, when you anytime you're somewhat the first time doing something, be the first time to, to play in a bowl game, that would be something that these guys will remember for a long, long time. But you know, our guys have regardless, uh, they knew the situation all year. Uh you know, we didn't make a big deal when we won six and got bow eligible. Uh, I just told him the more you win, uh, you know, the more that is at stake, and so we still got a chance for at least tie for the regular season uh, title at, in the Conference USA, and and we're hopeful the bowl game will be out there as well. But our guys have they've earned it, and
1: uh, we've got two more games to try to keep earning it and kind of state our case. Last one from me, Coach. Um, saw an interview today with uh, Rick Pitino, seventy-one years old. You know, St. John's, whatever. Why I bring it up? He talked a lot about like enjoying the moments more with his guys as he's gotten older. Uh, You know, I don't want to age you in any way, shape or form, but you know, we, you know, we talked about some of your earlier years. Are you enjoying like this, this go around as a head coach more than maybe some of the other ones?
0: You know, that's a that's a great question. Uh, the honest answer is probably not as much as it should. <laughs> sure. I mean, it really is. I got, you know, my, my daughter works for me, and, and my wife and son, they're all into every game and all that. And they're like, I'm absolutely miserable every time we lose. And every time sometimes we win, you know, I'm still more hung up on the bad things we did sure. in, the, in the win. And so I've got to learn how to do that better. You know, that there's no question that, you know, I heard Urban talk about it, that the wins – the wins were just a relief, and the losses were devastating. And and I'm maybe not there, but I'm not on the other end like I should be. I should enjoy the wins more, especially you know in in this period while we're transitioning, and it's all kind of because the expectations weren't you know very high, and I understood why. And then and we didn't know for sure what we're going to have, so I, I needed to be able to enjoy that better. Uh, uh I still think I got a lot of juice in the tank, and. And I'm surrounded with a bunch of great guys coaching and on the staff, but I I uh, I I struggle with that more. I need to kind of under I need to, that's great advice, and enjoy the victories more, enjoy the process more, I guess, yep. as well.
1: I was gonna say, Pete Carroll used to have Tell the Truth Mondays. I appreciate you just being honest on that one. I mean, it would have been easy to, to to do the cliche. Oh, yeah, you know, ever and uh, you j- know what yeah. I,
0: I think the older you get, Aaron, I think the, the less cliche ish you are. I've you never sure? been a place cliche guy, anyway, I just kind of, you know, we call our meeting rooms the truth rooms. I tell our play, we're brutally honest with our guys. And I said, Listen, if I sucked and called a terrible play, call me out. Now, they don't do that too much. When I coach my son, <laughs> would, but sure. the rest of them won't do that. But we, uh I do think there's, you know, part of it, it's like an experience. Like sometimes coaches brag about, I got 30 years experience or 25 year experience. Well, if you never learned or grew or got better, sure. you got one year experience repeated 25 times. Hmm. And so everybody, I try to be a better coach tomorrow than I was. Uh, Today and I want to be a better one than I was a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago and that's if I expect my players to do that I expect my staff and myself to do that so I I feel good about that part that hey I'm I'm still growing as a coach I'm not a young guy anymore by any means but I still think I'm growing as a coach and I I need to do that if I want my
1: players and my staff to do that fantastic Rich Rodriguez head coach Jacksonville State coach we'll be watching two games two games left on the schedule. I'm not rooting against anybody, but, you know, if we don't get those X number of bowl teams, hopefully we get that third game on the schedule. Hopefully you guys get that bowl game. Uh, It's been fun to watch. And like I said, you know, it might drive you crazy to play on Tuesdays, but I've enjoyed tuning in and America has. And so we appreciate your time. We'll do it again soon, okay? You must see TV. Keep in touch. All right, everybody. I'm back. Gonna be back. Gonna be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. First off, before we get to Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, thank you. Rich Rodriguez, uh, just an awesome story. Awesome interview. Really enjoyed talking to him. You know, again, I I said it, but he was at West Virginia as the head coach when I was at UConn. A lot of heartbreaking nights there as UConn had good teams, and every year they'd run into Steve Slayton and Pat White and Rich Rodriguez, and it would be over before it even began. But I'm also really enjoying this Jacksonville State story. Uh, incredible season. They're 7 and 3. We'll see what happens with the, you know, with the bowl stuff. It's not as big of a deal to me, but obviously for the players it would be very very cool, so we'll keep an eye on that. Uh thank you to Rich Rod. Hopefully you have him on again soon because it is an incredible story and he was a great interview. With that said though, I do want to go ahead and wrap this show as we do every Friday show with America's Favorite Podcast segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. By now, you know the concept of this segment. Yes, I stole it from my buddy, Colin Coward. Been on with Colin before. He's a great guy, and he does a segment every week on his show where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong, and I decided to hijack the segment and bring it to the Aaron Torres pod for one very simple reason. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy, Torres. Torres said this. Torres said that. Why did you not listen to Torres? I never shut up. Here's the thing, though. While I love telling you about all the stuff that I get right, I got to acknowledge when I get stuff wrong, too. So every single week we wrap the show, Aaron right, Aaron wrong, giving you my best and worst takes of the week, month, year and also my worst ones as well. Let's get to it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, where Aaron was right. So last week around this time, before we even knew what was going to happen at Michigan was Jim Harbaugh going to coach was he not going to coach was he going to even fly and travel with the team I said I don't really care I believe they're going to win because this is the most resilient group of college athletes that I've ever seen now we'll see they still have at Maryland this weekend which will not be easy and Ohio State at home to end the regular season but I have been so impressed by this team and that's why they were my preseason pick to win the national championship they have dealt with so much off the field over the last couple of years. Harbaugh flirting with the NFL, Harbaugh being suspended, the counter stallion stuff. Nothing phases these guys, and nothing phased them on Friday as they uh, Saturday as they went into Happy Valley and got the win. So credit to Michigan. I told you they were going to get the win. We'll see if they can close the regular season. But so far, I've been so impressed by this group. There is nothing but great. You you could disagree on the coaching staff. Was the punishment tough enough? Whatever. You cannot take away from what these players do every time they step on the field where Aaron was wrong well I was wrong like a lot of people were wrong on Jimbo Fisher and when he was hired I thought he was the guy national championship uh you know built a program at Florida State he is gonna be the guy to take Texas A&M to the next level just one problem it didn't really happen and I'll say this is that um you know sometimes you got to admit when you're wrong I think I did that about four or five weeks ago when they lost to Alabama because Jimbo Fisher messed up, uh, you know, one, I thought he punted like a coward, and I hate to say it, but it's the truth, uh, inside his own 45. But then also he messed up on the goal line and in the red zone. I said, I-, I just don't think it's gonna happen. But if we go back to the day he was hired, yes, I thought it was a great hire. Yes, I thought it was gonna work. Yes, I thought it was gonna be a home run. Um, and it just didn't happen. And so I feel bad for the players, I feel bad for the people in the program. In some ways, I feel bad for Jimbo. I know I shouldn't. $77 million. But like he was a a national punching bag for the last three, four, five years. So I thought it was going to work. It didn't. I'll be curious to see what Texas A&M does. One thing I will give Jimbo Fisher credit for, though, and I don't think I've really talked about it. He has proven that Texas A&M is an elite job with elite resources, with elite money, and that you can recruit at the highest level. He clearly wasn't the guy to get them to that next level. We'll see if the next guy is. Let's keep it going where Aaron was right. Let's go back to the Penn State-Michigan game last weekend. Just told you that I think Michigan, I thought they were going to win whether Jim Harbaugh coached or not. But what did I also tell you? I said James Franklin will coach scared in the biggest moments and they will lose because of him. And listen, the bottom line is really this James Franklin thing. He's another guy. I tried to defend him, tried to defend him, tried to defend him. But coming out of that Ohio State game about three, four weeks ago, I said, it's not going to happen. Ohio State has the worst offense they're ever going to have with the worst quarterback they're ever going to have. And if you can't do it against Ohio State this year, I don't think you're ever going to do it. And I definitely don't think you're going to do it against Michigan. And so you go back to last Saturday. What happened? James Franklin coach scared. I know he fired the offensive coordinator, but guess what? The offensive coordinator follows his cues from the head coach. James Franklin coach is scared. Frankly, I think he coaches confused. Didn't love going for it, uh, going for two in the first half. Thought it took the air out of the stadium. Certainly did not love uh, going for it on fourth down, deep in your own territory, which set up what was ultimately the game-winning score. Uh, And didn't love going for two. Even after you score to cut the lead to nine, you could have made it a one-possession game with uh, an extra point. So look, I I like Penn State. It's a great school, great people, uh, great community, whatever. But at the end of the day, listen, James Franklin is who he is. I, I I wasn't sold until this year, but I just I, I need to see it in a big game. And don't tell me about seven years ago against Wisconsin or seven years ago. This they uh, too many times they're ten and two lose to Ohio State, lose to Michigan, no good wins. That's where they're probably trending this year. And I get it. You can't fire him. Good lord, does he get paid a lot of money? But he is just not the guy for Michigan or for Penn State. Excuse me. Where Aaron was wrong, so I was right about James Franklin. I think I was wrong on Billy Napier. So Billy Napier, head coach at Florida, it's just not going well. And there's time to turn it around and you can point to second year head coaches that didn't look good. Mike Norvell didn't look good at Florida state in year two, um, you know, whatever. But at the same time, Florida is losing games that Florida should just never, ever, ever lose. And certainly not in the manner that they, they do, uh, you lose to LSU by giving up 700 yards of total off. That's unacceptable. Florida. You lose to Arkansas, a 3-7 and team at home. Arkansas's only SEC win this year. Unacceptable. You lose to Kentucky when Ray Davis rushes for 280 yards. Unacceptable. Even worse for Billy Napier, his one saving grace. He had an elite recruiting class signed up for 2024. Well, here's the bad news. On Saturday, Jamonte Waller, five-star defensive end, flips from Florida to Auburn. Uh, you had Wardell Mack, a cornerback, uh, flip from Florida to Texas. And then I think Nasir Johnson, I believe, was the name, flip from Florida to Georgia on Wednesday. So over the course, so you have this elite recruiting class, you have that going for you. Then over the course of five days, you have three marquee players flip. There are more likely coming. There's just not a lot of silver lining for Florida right now. When you know, you know, I don't see this getting better under Billy Napier. It is not good at all. Let's get back to basketball, or let's get to basketball, I should say, where Aaron was right. So Champions Classic was on Monday night. Number one, Kansas beat Kentucky. But I said since the summertime, right? Kentucky plays a summer tour uh in Canada, uh global jam. And everyone else in the media is making fun of, oh, who cares? Summer tours don't mean anything. Blah, 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 blah. Well, Kentucky goes 4-0. It's an international event where they're trying, like they're playing to win. This isn't about switching lineups and getting other guys reps. No, they were playing to win, and they looked awesome. Fast, athletic, quick twitch, attacking the basket, spacing, ball movement, whatever. And I said, look, this isn't a perfect team. They're not going undefeated, but I think this is a big bounce back year. Well, fast forward to Tuesday night at the Champions Classic, Kentucky looks like Kentucky again. By the way, a double where Aaron was right. On opening night, I said I was wrong on Robert Dillingham, and I... I I staked my claim on Rob Dillingham Island on opening night. I said, this kid is going to be an all sec type guard. What ends up happening? 18 points in that game against Kansas. So look, I know you want the moral victory. I know there are no moral victories. If you're a Kentucky fan, that team looks very improved and I cannot wait to see them continue to evolve over the course of the season. I think Kentucky is back to looking like Kentucky this season where Aaron was wrong. Let's stay with the champions classic. Uh, and Duke, so Duke was my preseason national championship pick. They got smoked. Well, they didn't get smoked, but they lost to Arizona at home and they just kind of looked meh against Michigan state. And I'll be honest. I I don't think Duke is going to win the national championship. Like, like, like sometimes you can lose a game in week one and everything's fine. I look at this Duke team. They're not super athletic. Um, Tyrese Proctor, their, their, their star guard really hasn't developed the way that anybody thought. I just don't think this is a national championship caliber team. I think they will be good think they'll be fine, good in the ACC. The ACC is still down outside of Miami, North Carolina, maybe Virginia. There's not a lot of elite in that conference. But I don't see a team that can overwhelm you for six straight games in the tournament. I see that when I watch Arizona. I see that when I watch UConn. You know, Kentucky at least has high-level athletes. Like when I watch Kansas and Kentucky the second game, It looked like a different sport than Duke and Michigan State in game one. So bottom line is, listen, we don't need to go on and on. Duke was my national championship pick. If I could do it over again, they would not be it. I don't think they're good enough. Let's wrap with a couple more, a little bit off the grid, where Aaron was right. Don't talk much NBA on this show. But over the course of the summer, there was all those Damian Lillard rumors, this, that, the other thing. Where's it going to go? And everybody wanted Philadelphia to trade for him. And I said, I would not trade. 23-year-old Tyrese Maxey for 34, 35-year-old Dame Lillard, whatever he is. And those ages may be off. Maybe Tyrese Maxey is 22 and Dame Lillard's 32, but you get the point. Dame Lillard on the tail end of his career, Tyrese Maxey ascending. And as a matter of fact, I said I thought Philadelphia would be better with Tyrese Maxey running running the show uh, and James Harden gone. Well, fast forward, and Tyrese Maxey dropped 50 the other night for the Philadelphia 76ers. Listen, this guy is a young rising star in this sport. And all he had to do was watch the playoffs. You could see him coming last year. I'm not saying Harden wasn't great. Harden had moments in the playoffs, but so did Tyrese Maxey and Tyrese Maxey's again, 10 years younger than James Harden. So I think Philadelphia got better without James Harden. I certainly think they're better than they would have been trading Tyrese Maxey for Dame Lillard. And everybody made fun of Philadelphia when, when the reports came out that Tyrese Maxey was untouchable. Everybody wanted to make fun of him. Well, look at them now. Dropping 50 on dudes. Philadelphia's at the top of the standings. Credit where it's due to Philadelphia. They stuck with their guy. Finally, where Aaron was wrong. When all this Oakland A's, uh, Las Vegas uh, rumors started, I said, I thought Vegas would be crazy to take this team. Poorly run, don't spend money, and you're going to need a lot of taxpayer money to get a stadium built. And so I talked to my Vegas sources, if you want, if you want to call it that I didn't get the sense that there was much of an appetite for the Oakland A's to go to Vegas. But obviously on Thursday, we found out that yes, of course the A's, the, the, the MLB owners unanimously approved and unanimously voted for the A's to come to Las Vegas. Now I still think there's some uh, political stuff that has to happen in, in Vegas to get another stadium built with taxpayer dollars, but this is obviously going to happen and listen i get it mlb wants a presence in vegas it is the hottest city in america right now i'm going to be there next week for thanksgiving it's going to be awesome but i just bring it up because of the fact um i just bring it up because of the fact that um listen uh, i didn't think this was going to happen i thought the mlb would get in the way and i didn't think vegas was going to be that thirsty for another major league team because there's no fan base for it we'll talk about it at some point but all the discretionary income the Golden Knights were there first. The Raiders are there. I don't think there is a desire to have a baseball team with 81 home dates on the strip. We've talked about it. I'm not going to go through it again. But it's a summer sport. When you're in Vegas in the summer, you want to hang out by the pool. The music's playing. You don't want to leave the pool at 430 so you can catch a 630 baseball game. So we'll see what happens. But this is a bold prediction that we will get to on Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong at some point in the future. Vegas. I think the A's are going to be a disaster there. We'll see what happens. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Tour Sports Podcast. I do think it is time for me to get out of here and enjoy the weekend. By the way, next week's schedule, I'm going to figure it out as I go. We'll definitely have a show Monday. Uh, I will, uh, uh, you know, obviously we have a holiday on Wednesday, a holiday on Friday. I'm going to get you as many episodes as I can. So make sure to pay attention. As I said earlier in the show, we will also make sure to get you content As stuff happens. so If we have coaching firings, we'll get stuff on that. College Hoops, we'll have uh, Feast Week with the Battle for Atlantis and uh, Maui Invitational. We'll get you content. Just don't know exactly what the schedule looks like. But if you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Now's the time to do it. Because we don't know when our show is going to be next week except for Monday. So make sure you subscribe. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Also make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Thank you for your support of this show. Uh, we're in the middle of November, but the numbers, again, remain incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you to Rich Rodriguez for joining the show, and I will be back on Monday, and you know we'll have plenty to talk about. Shout out to Torrent Crank. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Redick, UFN. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Monday. New episode. Aaron Torres.